Welcome to Top 5, a show where we count things down from number 5 all the way to number 1. And this week we're revisiting a uh, Top 5 that we did not too long ago, within the last couple of years. Top 5 animated television shows. Top 5 animated television shows this week on the show. Uh, Matthew, you are there. Uh, What do you have for your number 5? My number 5 is a very recent program, actually. uh, One that I really, really enjoyed as part of the latest wave of Marvel TV products. And that is Marvel's what if dot, dot, dot question mark or in tarot bang. What happened? Did I drop? No. Okay, good. Something just weird happened with my connection. Uh, The premise of the what if series is, you know, the same as the premise of the comic book, which is what if this thing was different and the answer is generally everyone dies screaming. Um, but I think, was it six or seven episodes? It was like a relatively small uh, yeah. episode count, but each one sort of built into the next one. It wasn't like they all tied together, although, you know, by the end, something was clearly going on. But there was always a little something that felt really you know, kind of connected, other than just the fact that the Watcher, who, by the way, is amazing. Uh, the Watcher is voiced by Jeffrey Wright, who I know from, oh, like 15 million different things, but Westworld is the last thing, and he has this incredible, well, he's, yeah. deep, gravelly voice. I was going to say, he's also uh, Jim Gordon in the in the Batman movie. Oh, I haven't seen that. Um, I actually saw something with him the other day when he was like 18 or 19 in a Samuel L. Jackson movie. It may have been Shaft, now that I think about it. Um, but it was just amazing to get through these episodes of the series and see them kind of building on what we'd seen in the movies, what we'd seen of the phase. Are we in phase four or phase five? Four. The, the phase four TV shows to date, you know, all of the stuff came together. And then we did get that final episode, which on the one hand, I feel like the watcher breaking his oath comes kind of early. I also realized that the watcher broke his oath in the comics in like his second or third appearance. So I'll allow it. And, you know, it was really, really nice to see many of the actors come back and reprise their roles in comic book form. Notably, I think darn near everybody, but Spider-Man and the black widow popped up here and there throughout it. It was just a lovely series. Uh, had a very stylized kind of computer animated look, but it didn't turn me off like some two computer animated shows do, if that makes sense. One of the reasons I never got into the Clone Wars was I kind of felt like hmm. there was just something a little too precise, a little too 3D modeled in there. But this one kind of hit a sweet spot for me. And it did have that wonderful moment of uh, the watcher saying, what the hell is this? So that right there gets you four stars for me. And that puts what if at my number five. All right. Very good. Rodrigo, what do you have for your, for your number five in your top five animated TV shows? Uh, My number five is a show that I've liked for a very long time. Uh, It's about giant robots and about uh, humans escaping uh, the underground, and then eventually the Earth, and then eventually their galaxy, um, as the, everything just kind of builds and builds and builds. And uh, that is Gurren Lagann. Um, Gurren Lagann is a show by Studio Trigger. Uh, it 
probably would live a lot higher up on my list, except for the fact that some things about it don't hold up. Um, it's uh, it's a lot of fun, but uh, it's got a lot of cheesecake. Um, it, one of the main characters wears a bikini through the entirety of it, pretty much, and uh, they, they're not shy about the physics. Um, and then a few other issues... Uh, crop up here and there which are sort of like old cultural issues like uh, there's a character who is uh, like very much portrayed to be gay and is actually very cool and interesting and generally is uh, a good person but he's like weird around like little boys Um, and it's it's supposed to come across as a joke but frequently it doesn't so um other than that, the, that character is relatively minor and is not necessarily uh, tied into most of the things that happen, but that character pops up, right? So there's a few issues like that with Gurren Lagann, but other than that, it's a show that um, is really fantastically animated, has a very interesting storyline, uh, talks about aspects of humanity that are uh, interesting um, and and scary. Uh, it it says, you know, are we destined to make the same mistakes that we made in the past? It says, like, if we had a way to contain our our the worst things about us, would we be willing to do that? It, uh, you know, while sacrificing our freedom, uh, it's it's interesting. It's a good show, and there's a lot going on with it. And also, it's got you know giant robots. Yeah, gotta love giant robots and people living underground with uh, their corkscrew machines. They say yep. chicks dig the giant robots. Yep. Yep. All right. Very good, Rodrigo. My number five is also an anime series. Uh, it is uh, 2011's Steins Gate. Now, the premise behind this is that uh, this mad scientist, or he thinks he's a mad scientist. He's just a, a college student, Okabe. Uh, he uh, has the, what is the the name of the, uh, uh, I forget what the name of their uh, future gadget laboratories he has above this TV shop. And he and his friend accidentally invent time travel in which they can send text messages. They have a, uh, this is 2011, so 2011 technology. Uh, They can send text messages back in time via a cell phone connected to a microwave. And in doing that, they change the past. But this isn't a typical time travel movie in that, uh, only one person knows what's going on, and they really explain a lot of the time travel away as jumping to different timelines. You've shifted reality enough to where you're no longer on 1985 uh, A, you have shifted into 1985 B and C and D and E, and it keeps going and going and going. And I find it incredibly fascinating as Okabe tries to figure out how can he undo all of the mistakes. If you're a fan of conspiracy theories, the... um uh, the CERN uh, becomes part of this. It's not spelled C-E-R-N in this. It's S-E-R-N. And it also uh, deals with the time-traveling guy who was going back trying to find an old, uh, I think it's an IBM uh, computer. So if you're familiar with that conspiracy theory, that plays a big role in this TV show. The animation is pretty well done. It's 24 episodes. I really think it could have been done in 20 episodes uh, probably the biggest problem, as, as Rodrigo says, there's some problematic bits with his number five. There is problematic bits with Steins Gate in that willingly or unwillingly, it is a, it has harem 
uh, fantasy elements in it in that Okabe, who is kind of, you know, only interested in science, is constantly drawing women to him. Uh, all, you know, majority of the cast is all female and they're all somehow interested in him, whether it be a father figure or whether it be a love interest or whether it be a competitor or whatever it is. He uh, assigns them uh, numbers in his mad scientist laboratories and uh, has them do different tasks. Nothing sexual or anything like that, uh, but it is there. The other problem is his uh, his other male uh, assistant in this who is very. Um, uh, what's the uh, what's the Japanese word for someone who's totally into the uh, he's a totally otaku. Right. And he uh, goes into the horny side of the area of otaku. And that that pops up more than a few times in this 24 episode series, which eh, is is not so good. But the the fact that the time travel and the jumping realities of this character are jumping his consciousness to different realities. And ultimately, he's going to have to come up come up to this decision of do I allow someone to die and for a lot of people to lose things that make them happy in order to restore the timeline and keep the universe from exploding. And so I find from that aspect of it uh, that it is completely a fascinating uh, show. There was a follow-up to that. Uh, I want to say it's Steins Gate Zero, and that one deals more with uh, robotics and AI. I've only watched a couple of episodes of it. I don't find it as fascinating as the original Steins Gate. But if you get a chance to check out Steins Gate, uh, I highly, highly, highly recommend it. And it is my number five on the top five animated TV shows. Okay, we are now into our number fours. And Matthew, what do you have for your number four? Long-time listeners know that I came from sort of a TV background. Uh, we started in radio, moved into radio TV. Eventually, I ended up getting a job as the master control operator for a CBS affiliate. And it was my job to point satellites around and watch shows. And at 4 o'clock every afternoon, circa 1995, I had to point a satellite over here to record Montel Williams but I would also point the other satellite over there to the WB so that I could watch out of the corner of my eye in one of the random monitors throughout the place. Freakazoid, um, which I have to tell you may be the most underrated of the mm. 1996 WB cartoons because Freakazoid is very much the postmodern superhero about five years before the rest of the world really leaned into it hard. Uh, the Freakazoid show is, I, I feel like saying wacky or zany or something like that kind of puts you in a realm that gives you an expectation that isn't actually correct of Freakazoid. And if you, if you listen to the cartoon theme song, the theme song starts to tell you about the adventure here that really actually isn't kind of happening. Um, but it's an interesting show in that the main character just sort of literally runs around, uh, bumps into police officer Cosgrove, who's constantly telling him to stop it. Um, but as you get through it, you also find there's this, actually there's several threads through it of just running gags or weird Dada-esque moments. Um, I noticed about halfway through the season that they kept crediting Weena Mercator as the hopping woman. Uh, and in, in two seasons of Freakazoid, that never actually happens. It's just something that's there. And apparently, if you 
actually slow it down enough, there are characters, a character at the least, who appears for a split second, like frames, fragments of frames throughout the episodes. And I just kind of have this feeling that some someday in the far future, we're going to keep finding jokes that somebody buried in an episode of Freakazoid. And uh, of course, my kid had no idea who Freakazoid was and was like, Dad, the, the Teen Titans Go crossed over with this weird guy from the 90s. I'm like, what do you look like? And they were like, well, he's got like an exclamation point and red tights. And I'm like, show me the episode. <laughs> so apparently in 2020, Freakazoid came back with the original cast for a Teen Titans Go crossover, which may be one of the last things that Ed Asner did, which again, I think would be very, very appropriate because Freakazoid with the exclamation point, always the exclamation point, truly underrated, really funny, great superhero nonsense, and my number four. Very cool. All right, uh, Rodrigo, we are moving on to your number four next. Uh, my number four is something that I think I've talked about uh, either on this show or in one of our myriad other shows, and uh, that's uh, Madoka Magica, right? Uh, like Puella Madoka Magica, I think is what the actual thing is called. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so when I was a kid... I had to get up very, very early for school. And when I would wake up, I would turn on the TV. And at some point they started airing this show called Sailor Moon. Right. Mm -hmm. And at first I wasn't into it. And then I got super into it because it's like a monster of the week. Like basically it's like, I was already into Power Rangers when I discovered Sailor Moon. And then Sailor Moon is basically Power Rangers, except um, instead of transforming. Yeah, instead of transforming into uh, dinosaur-themed guys, they transform into different versions of that same dress they're wearing. I'm I'm down with it. So uh, what I didn't know is that in the meantime, like meanwhile in Japan, uh, <laughs> Sailor Moon had become hugely influential and basically became its own genre. Right, it started out the magical girl genre. Uh, so. I had seen a few of them, but I never got into them um, until I came across Madoka Magica, a show that at the time was only whispered in, of in like hushed tones. And one day, one day I was hanging out with D&D Brian. He's like, dude, have you checked out Madoka Magica? And I'm like, no. He's like, I think, you, I think you'll like it. I think you're going to like you it. Check it out. That's how he got me into Common Writer, too. Yeah, and then a whole year of my life. And then, as he usually does, he hopped on his horse and strummed his guitar and rode away. That's <laughs> that's just how he rolls. Um, so uh, Madoka Magica is a deconstruction of the um, magical girl genre. I know a lot of people are actually tired of this comparison um, in in anime circles, but I think it still stands. Uh, Madoka Magica is to magical girls as Evangelion is to uh, giant robot anime, right? Mech anime. So uh, it's hard to talk about it without giving anything away. Uh, You should just know that it's going to mess with your mind. Uh, The art direction of it is fantastic, right? Most of the time what you see 
are the characters, and if you might not like the character design, right? Uh, I, I like it just fine. I think the the characters look good, but there is so much more visually going on with that show once you get into it. Um, the way that certain things that are going on in that world are expressed is really fascinating, really cool, and just worth it, right? It's just worth watching this show for seeing how some of the powers that are expressed, some of the uh, overarching themes are expressed. It's very cool. Uh, nice. So yeah, my number four, Madoka Magica. Yeah, I've tried to get the youngest uh, to watch that, and he uh, he will not watch that yet. I'm, I have a feeling I can convince him to re- watch it. I did sit him down, and we watched a couple of episodes of the original Common Rider, the 71 series. Mm-hmm. Uh, that kind of backfired because he's like, why is this guy fighting all comic book heroes? Because the first one that he fights is the Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. And then the next <laughs> one that he fights is the is the Batman. And then he's like, if the next one's the Iron Man, I'm just going to scream. And then I'm like, okay, are we done with this? And he's like, yes. Yeah. So we've only seen two episodes of that and zero episodes of uh, of the other one. So it's coming. Don't worry. It, it will get there and, and get to that, Rodrigo, because I, too, want to sit down and watch that uh, that show. All right. Uh, my number four, probably going to be a little controversial uh, because there's two different versions of this. The one that uh, I prefer is Full Metal Alchemist. This was an animated TV show based on the manga. Uh, this came out in, I want to say, ooh, uh, 2003, something like that. Uh, I remember getting it on the DVDs or seeing it somewhere. I'm pretty sure it was DVD. Uh, so this tells the story of Edward and Alphonse uh, Elric who are living in kind of a steampunky world where magic is real, but it comes with a cost, right? So if you want to convert something into magic, you have to give something uh, up in return. In this case, they are trying to bring back uh, the Philosopher's Stone. And in the process, I'm sorry, they're trying to bring back their mother to life. She's passed away. And in the process of trying to bring somebody back from the dead, um, Alphonse loses, gosh, I forget which one is which. Alphonse loses his body and his spirit has to be contained into a giant uh, piece of uh, armor. And Edward loses an arm and a leg. And they go on an adventure trying to get Alphonse back his body uh, to restore everything. And in the process, they uh, discover the Philosopher's Stone, have a lot of adventures. And at one point, so this is the part where it gets a little weird because the manga was coming out. Manga comes out when manga comes out. But the TV shows have to come out every week. And at some point, they knew they were going to surpass uh, the the current state of the manga. And so the creator of the manga was like, listen, guys, go ahead and do whatever you want. Go off in this direction and create an entirely different ending than what's in the manga, because I've got still stories that I want to tell in this manga. And so the TV creators did. They very much pulled a um, Game of Thrones uh, thing with this uh, years before Game of Thrones did it. In, in fact, people made that joke about Game of Thrones, yes, that, it had, that it had out, outpaced the manga. Yes. <laughs> and, and so what ends up happening at one point in the story, uh, Edward gets shunted off into another dimension, quite possibly our dimension, uh, because the Thule Society is there and they are trying to use um, uh, Edward's powers to open up a gate back into his world because they believe that there is magic in that world that can help them win World War II. And there was a movie that kind of wrapped everything up and, and, and everything. They keep that Thule Society thing. It's not outright Nazi symbolism or anything like that. But when they say that they're the Thule Society and you know, oh, hey, uh, I know what this leads to. It becomes a little bit weird. Uh, still, overall, I enjoy 
the original Full Metal Alchemist. The manga concluded and has a totally different ending. And I guess fans were so incensed or outraged or wanted to see the uh, adaptation of the manga done faithfully that they came out with Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, which I don't care for. I know a lot of people prefer it over the 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 main Full Metal Alchemist, but uh, I, I just don't care for Brotherhood that much. But that's why Full Metal Alchemist is sitting there in my number four slot. Uh, if you like some steampunk and you like some magic and you like a quest for two brothers to uh, make things right, then you might want to check out uh, that series. Okay, Matthew, we are up into our number threes. What do you have for number three? My number three is one of the earlier things that uh, the child and I really, really started enjoying in more of a you're no longer a kid sense where, hey, I want to watch this thing and it's kind of a thing that's not necessarily meant for children. It's an over 17 show. And I'm like, well, I mean, you're 12, sure. So we started watching Archer. And we came quickly to the realization that 12 is too young for Archer. So we came back at 14. Uh, and have now watched all but the latest season. I think we're six episodes into the latest season. We don't know how it ends, but Archer is essentially a story of the world's greatest spy who happens to be the world's worst human being and these ongoing stories around them. And the thing that's really great about it is everything changes while nothing changes at all. Uh, It takes place in a weird kind of cold war setting where they also have cell phones and 2018 Dodge challengers by one now. And it's not necessarily a real world situation. Obviously it can't be, but it's also something that is all too relatable because in a lot of ways, it's a little bit of a workplace comedy. And then occasionally you have these just wild out of nowhere, crazy moments. And I feel like if you've never seen Archer, there's no way for me to tell you that Archer is good and explain to you why Archer is good without making without making Archer sound really, really unpalatable. So here's what I'm going to tell you. I laughed, the child laughed, and the child's mother, who does not like to watch TV with us because we tend to watch, uh, in the mother's words, crap and horror movies, was caught laughing more than once at Archer. And I think the one that really got her was when they were on a bad radio connection and one of these spies was trying to tell the other one how to spell something. And the joke was M as in Mancy. And just got her. I mean, my wife started snorting and then we moved on. And I knew that I knew that we had gotten there. Now, one thing about the show that happened so often Stephen will tell you all the time kind of overstays its welcome and then somehow manages to come back around oh no I never say it comes back around I always say the show overstays its welcome (laughs) yes I understand that I that was the end of your quote it overstayed its welcome and then we come over to my side the happy side the the side of the street where we look forward into the future with with bright eyes and wonderment and we say it comes back around there's a whole episode that is just a noir uh, detective tale, which I think you should check out. There's a whole season that becomes another noir detective tale, followed by a season that is basically tales of the gold monkey, but they make a point of pointing out that it's not a monkey. 
It's not a monkey, legally speaking, distinctly. And of course, there's one whole season that takes place in space somehow. But again, I'm not going to tell you how. I'm just going to tell you, check it out. And remember, Josie the Pussycats also went to space, and they never sucked. And neither does my number three, Archer. All right, Rodrigo, what do you have for number three? Uh, What do I have for number three? So my number three is is an American uh, cartoon. Mm-hmm. So that so that people know that I'm just not just uh, including uh, right. what the kids nowadays are calling a Japanese cartoonimation. <laughs> um, uh, it's uh, it's Batman Beyond. So Batman Beyond is a uh, it's actually a spinoff of Batman the Animated Series. Uh, it takes place in like a 20xt6 type future. Um, it's, uh, very cyberpunky and, uh, Bruce Wayne is now very old and can't be, can't go around beating people up in his pajamas anymore. So he basically takes in, uh, a, a new, uh, person to beat people up in, in cyber pajamas in the future. Um, this is the main character is Terry McGinnis played by Will Friedel, I think. Friedel. Is, that, Friedel is it from, uh, Boy okay. Meets, Yeah, Boy Meets World. Yeah. Um, I just never never remember how to pronounce his last name. Uh, it, it does have, like, uh, uh, obviously Kevin Conroy is there voicing Bruce Wayne. Uh, Chris Summer is, uh, plays, Will, uh, or plays uh, Terry's friend. Lots of, lots of people. Uh, like, there's a... For example, a bad girl is now the commissioner. So... Uh, you know she's the new she's the new commissioner Gordon, mm-hmm. um, played by Stalker Channing. It's good times. Uh, so why why this one and why not, for example, Justice League or JLU or the Batman Superman Adventures or Batman the Animated Series? And the reason for that is actually that this one is kind of succinct. It's it doesn't like too follow the other ones you have to have follow the previous ones to a certain degree i mean you can just jump in but um there's a lot of stuff going on you might say to follow this one you have to follow batman but you really don't because batman is you know in the is like molecularly in the atmosphere right people know the penguin people know the joker they know batman um also what's lots of fun about this one is that they were like okay so how do we make a young cool Batman in the future and they just completely 100% unashamedly just went let's just make it Spider-Man so if you like Spider-Man you should watch Batman Beyond because it's actually one of the best Spider-Man shows that's ever been made and that's saying something because there's some decent Spider-Man shows out there um, yeah. so what I mean by it being Spider-Man is A, it's a, you know, a young man who's in uh, high school trying to make life and love and his uh, superheroing uh, all work out, but also literally the villains are Spider-Man villains, sort of reimagined for this world. Right? There's like mm-hmm. a Craven the Hunter type. There's sort of a Venom type, um, and so on and so forth. So it's uh, honestly, in a lot of ways, the bad guys are like the least interesting thing about Batman Beyond. Whereas I would say for Batman, that tends to be the opposite. But uh, yeah. If you like, if you're like, like, oh no, I have to manage 
my superhero stuff and my family and the promise tomorrow. Like this, this is a, this is going to be a good show for you. Yeah. I, I really liked uh, Batman beyond because it was trying to reinvent Batman and not bring all of the baggage of absolutely, Batman absolutely. with it. Right. And, and to the point nothing. where To the point where it's like, okay, let's, okay. There's a venom character called ink, right? Let's bring that mm-hmm. character in. And it has no connection to an old Batman foe. And yeah. I think for the first season of that show, it worked really, really well until somebody at Warner Brothers or whatever said, yeah, we need to bring the Joker back. And then it kind of fell apart uh, for well, me on that. I, I will say the return of the Joker uh, in Batman Beyond is a pretty well-regarded, I, I, I mean, guess, mini it, arc, like two episodes. Yes. Like, basically, it's well, like it was a, a full-length like movie. Hour, yeah, yeah like it was a movie, movie that they couldn't release in the movie theater because uh, in the theatrical cut, they show the whole killing of... Um, yeah. Who was it, Jason so, Todd? Yeah, Tim Drake. So Tim Drake. It is. It is the. It is a, a moment in which they have this big resurgence. Actually, Mister Freeze, the the same Mister Freeze, is also mm-hmm. in Batman Beyond. Yeah. He doesn't really appear as a villain, really, but because he's you know altered himself and and doesn't age, he just shows up at some point as a uh, head. Actually, does he sh- yeah. So. Uh, yeah, there are ties to the old show, but I, you can skip Return of the Joker. I don't recommend that you skip Return of the Joker. Mm-hmm. Okay, I I might recommend that you skip Return of the Joker because it is very... <laughs> it, it's intense. Not because, yeah, it's very intense and like very dark. It's mm-hmm. like very, very dark. Much darker than Batman Beyond... Uh, like uh, theme wise, I don't mean like visually. Batman Beyond is very dark visually. Mm-hmm. It's most. It just looks like it's like black. It's like neon on black most of the time. So yeah. anyway, yeah. Batman Beyond, good times. Take or leave. Uh, Return of the Joker. Yeah. Uh, Rodrigo and I are kind of succinct uh, on our number threes because my number three is also an American animated show because I didn't want uh, somebody accusing me, blah, blah, blah. Rodrigo stole uh-huh. all my lines, rewind uh, five minutes and listen to his justification for not having another anime on the list. Yeah. And my number three also is kind of technically a spinoff of Batman, the animated series in the form of Superman, the animated series, sure. uh, Batman, the animated series did so well that they were like, what if we do this, but with Superman and where the Batman is all about the dark, Superman is all about the light. One of the things that stands out about Batman, the animated series is that all of the backgrounds are literally painted on a black gesso uh, canvas uh, to where everything that you add to it only makes the things darker Uh, with Superman, the animated series. They didn't do that. And so we do get some really interesting uh, adventures of Superman. We get the whole exploding from Krypton growing up as a boy. Uh, you know, we get, uh, Metallo Lex Luthor. We get, uh, Lobo. I mean, we get everything in Superman, the animated series. And I think it is that at this point when Superman, the animated series launched that they're like, I think we can do more with this. I think we could do a Batman Superman team up. I think we could have different characters, uh, crossing over with one another. I think we can develop, especially in Superman, maybe more so than Batman, start to develop a longer storyline that might cover multiple episodes or uh, that aren't sequential episodes, right? So there's this whole thing with uh, Darkseid that builds and builds and builds and builds until finally it explodes into into a really great couple of episodes. Uh, but there are things that are just kind of sitting there and simmering underneath. And I think it's 
even though Batman the Animated Series was a groundbreaking animated series, even though it changed how uh, 1990s people viewed animation and, and made it more acceptable for not just Kitty Fair, not just Saturday morning cartoons, I think Superman the Animated Series elevated that concept even further and say and said we can tell really solid superhero stories uh with this and then of course we had the batman superman animated series and as ba- uh, rodrigo said batman beyond which was then followed up by justice uh, justice league and justice league uh international after that but uh, uh yeah limited yeah um uh, superman the animated series also has a great list of guest voices that uh you know the main act the main cast is great but if you go and look at the guest voices of this you're going to find some real real interesting ones in there matthew had mentioned uh ed asner uh, a couple of a couple of uh, slots back ed asner mm-hmm. actually appeared very regularly in superman the animated series as granny goodness so uh that is that <laughs> just a more perfect casting could never happen i know right it was just really good so it's it's worth checking out if you haven't seen it uh i really enjoyed it it's much lighter it does deal sometimes with some heavier topics like being adopted, be, being alone, being the last of your species, which the whole Lobo, uh, I think that's like episode three or four in that series, uh, kind of confronts um, and finding love and, and just finding family in, in this in this crazy Earth world, uh, I think is really, really good. So Superman, the animated series is my number three. Okay, we are moving into our top two, but before we get into that, I just want to remind you that we do have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash major spoilers, and we would like to see so many of you come and join us over on our Patreon page where you can get access to behind-the-scenes stuff, uh, things that are going on, uh, special podcast releases that uh, don't uh, show up anywhere else or show up earlier than everywhere else, and uh, it helps keep this show going and all of the shows that we do in the Major Spoilers Podcast Network uh, you can also connect this over to our Discord uh, server with that and get access to even more channels, including uh, secret channels that we don't even talk about here. And there's also the Top 5 Discord channel. But you can do that when you join us over at patreon.com slash spoilers. We hope to see you over there very soon. Okay, we are into our number two, Matthew. What do you have for number two? My number two was almost my number one. But then I said to myself, no, it's got to be my number two because it tries harder. Now, if you're one of those old animation fans like I am, I'm an old fan of everything because I'm just old, you may know of a man named Doug Wildey. And you may know that he was, in 1962, hired to do an animated adaptation of Jack Armstrong, The All-American Boy, which was a radio drama adventure. And after putting all of this together, they're like, oh, well, we actually don't have it. And so rather than do the adaptation of Jack Armstrong, the all-American boy, they came up with a new name and they gave him a father and a bodyguard and a little brother named Haji. And it became Johnny Quest, my number two. Now, I don't normally do this. This is usually Stevens turf, but I will tell you that in this case, the original is the best. And if you have things that come after that, you'll probably enjoy them, but it'll never be quite as good as the original 1964 series. Because I don't know if you guys remember this. I certainly don't. There was a time, my friends, when animation was in prime time, where you would have like the Flintstones, an animated sitcom, and it would just pop up and it would be there and it would be a show. It wouldn't be like 
Sunday night animation domination or a Saturday morning cartoon or something that only airs at 5 p.m. before Wheel of Fortune. This was like prime time television, and it was designed to be sort of a, an ongoing adventure story, not necessarily episodic, but it did have recurring villains, recurring characters. It had actual real action and quote unquote violence. There's a sequence in one of the very first episodes where uh, race Bannon, who is one of the coolest guys ever got that big red shirt takes out a gun and starts shooting. And it looks like he's shooting people and you're like, Oh, oh my God, you can't do this. And then all of a sudden you realize he's shooting behind them. And of course, causing things to fall down and, and crush them and probably crush them to death. But the thing that's really wonderful about this show is the fact that it has become a part of the language without being actually popular. So you have like the Venture Brothers, which takes entirely from the Johnny Quest genre. There are a number of cartoon series and ongoing shows that are basically borrowing heavily from Johnny Quest. But if you say, hey, is this Johnny Quest? People will be like, I don't know. I watched that on TV when I was like six years old. And the reason for that is much like my my friend in college who's like, I hate the Beatles because everything that I hear from them, I've heard everywhere else. They were literally kind of making the the entire thing. They were building the template for animated action adventure as they went along. And so a couple of years later, animated cartoon adventure is everywhere. Superheroes exploded everywhere. Cartoons were the big thing. But back in 64, it wasn't all that popular and it kind of got canceled. Now, there is a, an 80s remake which I have to say, 3D animation, caveat emptor. But if nothing else, I'm sure Boomerang is probably playing it at 3 a.m. on alternate Fridays when the bells ring. So you can probably find Johnny Quest, my number two, somewhere streaming in the universe. Yep, there you go. Now, you said uh, you don't remember primetime animation, Matthew? I mean, I do, but I don't remember what it was just like, boom, here's an animated show. It's sure, always like, sure you do. here's a weird cartoon. Uh, the Simpsons is a perfect example. Uh, Simpsons is a prime debuted in primetime with their Christmas special after the Tracy Ullman show and then became a primetime show for, I mean, now what, 35 years. Uh, the other one yeah, that the other one that you may not realize is Batman. The animated series actually was a primetime animated show uh, in December of, of 92 and ran, I think it's first 13 episodes ran in primetime. I mean, that. That '89 no, Batman energy was oh yeah, was all pretty strong. Yeah, 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 it was everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rodrigo, what do you have for your number two? I don't know. Let me see. Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> my my number two uh, back back across the pond, but not that pond. The pond that's closest to me. Which uh, pond is that? The uh, that's the Pacific Ocean. Ah, okay. Actually, I live in. I live in the Seattle area. There are a lot of bodies of water here. After living in Kansas, yeah, after living in Kansas, where there are usually, like, there's, like, one body of water, and it was put there by the Corps of Engineers, living someplace (laughs) with, like, this much water is, like, is is sometimes off-putting. Like, why can't I I keep driving in this road? Because there's a lake. There's just a lake there. You have to go around the lake. Anyway... Not not necessarily not, not not important to this discussion. My number two, going back to Japan, and not just back to Japan, but back to the creator uh, for one of Steven's entries, um, 
she, uh, Hiromu Arakawa, who created Full Metal Alchemist, also wrote a manga called Silver Spoon, which eventually got turned into an anime, which I watched. And Starring was very, No, not that. Oh, my bad. Um, which I was eventually very surprised to find that I was into. Uh, Silver Spoon is... The premise of Silver Spoon is an urban teenager instead of applying to the many schools and academies that he could have, I think, I think he's actually from Tokyo that he could have in Tokyo instead applies to an agricultural school to do his high school Mm -hmm. um, or, or whatever the equivalent is there. And uh, there's, there's a lot going on, but uh, it's all like very interesting and low stakes. And it is just kind of like a, a comedy and like a personal drama of of this boy mm. figuring out what like a big part of it is like what is agriculture like and agriculture is very weird um <laughs> so as you might imagine uh because I'm not originally from Kansas there's something to this that I uh really empathize with because I was always a a suburban person, and then I moved to rural Kansas, and then I started doing shows about agriculture. So uh, Hatchikin, the main character, uh, discovering what agriculture is like and being horrified at it, uh, or or at turns like very impressed and very horrified and mortified and and weirded out, uh, really, really speaks to me in a lot of ways. Um, My wife and I... uh, have a lot of chuckles about this show because it is very low, low stakes sometimes like you look at the episode names and it's like Hachiken turns in an assignment or like Hachiken goes back to his or like visits a friend at home or something like that <laughs> and it's like it is it does it's very low stakes but once you get to know the characters um once you get to know the protagonist uh because there's like mysteries around the protagonist like why did this kid choose to do this and when you find out it's it's something. It like it'll make you feel something. Uh, I will say, uh, it, this is a show about agriculture, so just uh, know ahead of time that <sighs> there is a named, like there is a pig who is named, and then Hachiken needs to make a decision. Oh, so, so just so you know. But I'm I'm sitting here as as someone who, uh both thinks pigs are cute and enjoys pork products. I'm telling you it's, <laughs> it's worth watching. Not despite that, even because of that, it, it becomes a, an important crux of the show. Uh, what Hutchkin's decision ends up being. Um, but, but if you are just someone who cannot abide by, by the possibility of that, then this is not going to be the show for you. Do not watch it. But if yeah, you're not, yeah. then go ahead and watch it. Silver spoon. <laughs> very good. I do not know. It used to be on Netflix, but I'm pretty sure it's not anymore. So you are going to have to do some tracking down, I think. I'm pretty sure he's from Sapporo, which is way, way, way up north in Japan. Okay. Which kind of means that he's... uh, My equivalent would be like Chicago. Huge city, not necessarily the hugest city. Right. But a big enough city to where, you know, you get the culture shock when you move to the agricultural area. A lot of the... Unfortunately, with, with... 
I mean, this is like a, a, a like today drama, right? It takes place in the modern times, whenever it was that it came out, like 2000 or whatever, where the manga was first being written. So I very often do not get the the cult, the Japanese cultural references, right? Um, sometimes there'll be something like, it's like, oh, look over there. And it'll there'll be something on the wall and there'll be like a giant block of text explaining... <laughs> what that is and why the characters are just like, huh, it's it's interesting that they have one of those and then just like move on. But, you know, if you're not part of the culture, it's like first they have to explain what it is, then they have to explain why it would be interesting that that thing is here. And I'm like, I just I just move past it. I'm like, it doesn't matter, you know, like just yeah. roll through. If it turns out to be like the crux of this episode, I'll go back and read it. Yeah, right. Cool. All right. Uh, my number two is one that my youngest son introduced me to by way of he was constantly watching it nonstop. It debuted in 2019 uh, in its first season, and then it took a break. And then, of course, then the pandemic happened and everything was shut down. But it came back for a season two and a season three. And I think that uh, the season two specifically and, and the fact that all of season one was available, I think kind of helped him through the pandemic uh, quite a bit in trying to, you know, adjust and, and have something that he can connect with. The other thing about uh, my number two is that it is um, it does show that representation matters and it does show that uh, having diversity in your television shows uh, can be a very, very good thing. So in the show Amphibia, this is the Disney Channel's Amphibia. It tells a story uh, about a girl who when you in the first season, you just find out that she's in this world of of amphibians. Uh, she's living with frog people and, and you're just trying to it starts out of just, you know, having these ridiculous adventures as she's trying to cope with this new world. And I'm kind of watching it. I'm like, I don't understand what's going on. Why is she here? And it's you're several episodes in quite a ways into the series before you find out that Ann Boon Choi, uh, who's a Thai American girl played by Brenda Song, um, on her birthday, got talked into stealing a mysterious box from a, a pawn shop or an uh, antique store uh, by her friend Sasha Waybright, who's played by Anna Akana, and Marcy Wu, who's played by uh, Haley Tzu. And they're all three of them transported to Amphibia, but they're all separated. Each one is uh, cast to a different part of the world, and they all have different stories that eventually come together. And so on the one hand, it's very cute about, okay, uh, Anne needs to learn some responsibility. She needs to be, you know, grown up. She's a teenager, so she needs to take on responsibility in this world. She also needs to hopefully find a way back home. And as this story, and the, what really triggered it for me was that um, the way that Anne is is designed, first of all, they don't really say her last name that much in the show, uh, especially in the first season. Uh, and so she's just kind of painted as a darker-skinned character. But when you're... you're show is filled with uh, amphibians. It can, it can be kind of hard to tell that, Oh, this is someone of a different ethnicity than, than white. Right. But uh, in a couple of episodes, she starts talking Thai and I'm like, is she talking Thai? And my wife is sitting there going, Oh yeah, she is. And then, so we had to look it up. She's like, Oh, Thai American and, uh, and all of that. And then we find out that there's a bigger story that gets told. And I really like how amphibia does this. Also, my number one does the exact same thing uh, in that, it just kind of introduces you to this weirdness. And then after about four or five, maybe six episodes, these weirdness things start to connect with one another until finally you get to the end. And it is this huge, epic, grand story that is, I think, uh, very fantastic. And Amphibia certainly does that so much so that when the last episode aired in May of this year, 
my youngest son uh, was watching it by himself. Uh, I think I, we were doing a critical hit episode or something that night. Uh, and uh, my wife comes out of the bathroom and he's in just in the living room crying because it's such a sad episode. And uh, and so we're like, oh, you know, it's totally cool. This is what, you know, art is supposed to do and, and bring out feelings and, you know, make you feel like you've been on this grand adventure uh, with them. And here he's and I'm like, how about we want to watch it? Because I was at that time into the show as well. And at the end of the episode, I'm crying as well. Everybody's crying. It's just such a good show to see what's going on in here. And they've got some really great voices in here. Keith David plays uh, King Andreas uh, in the series, and he does a fantastic job. And, and, and King Andreas has his own arc that goes through. It is so well done. I am, on the one hand, glad that Disney gave this show three seasons because there were some questions at the end of season two whether it was going to come back for a third season, or at least halfway through uh, season two, there were some questions if it was getting a third season and they finally did it and they wrapped it up with a big long movie, uh, which was, which was nice. The last season only has 18 episodes, but if you get a chance to watch Amphibia, you may think that it's a silly, goofy kid show, but man, it, it evolves into an epic quest of being mature, knowing what friendship means, uh, how to, how to build lifelong relationships with people it's really, really good. And that's why Amphibia lands in my number two. All right. We are at the number one slot. Matthew, what do you have for your number one? My number one, I think, kind of came as a surprise to me. And I feel like it definitely may come as a surprise to some listeners. But I believe firmly in one of the the cardinal rules of major spoilers. And that rule is everything's better with Batman. But as a rule, I don't necessarily watch a lot of Batman cartoons, partly because there's a million of them. There's like the Batman and Batman Beyond and Batman the Animated Series and the New Adventures of Batman and the New Adventures of Batman and Robin. When I was a kid, there was one that actually had Adam West voicing Batman. There's the Batman Unlimited. There's the Batman Beware the Batman. There's the Batman Bat, Bat, Batman. But for me, the creme de la creme, the jewel on the top of the Sunday, which you eat jewels in, the thing that you put on top of your Christmas tree is Batman, the brave and the bold. Um, I had avoided this series because of my worry of Batman cartoons. Because after Batman, the animated series, there are good cartoons. You know, Batman Beyond never really, it wasn't must-watch appointment television for me, but I saw a few. I kind of liked it. Kid from Boy Meets World is a favorite, but I had been, you know, just kind of seeing these episodes of Brave and the Bold. And one day I was sitting there and one came up and I'm like, oh, this looks interesting. And suddenly everyone broke out into song. And of course, it was Mayhem of the Music Meister, which was one of the last episodes of season one, which features uh, Neil Patrick Harris in a musical episode that has to be resolved by Batman singing. And Batman singing is one of the most wonderful things you could imagine, especially since he's cheating with his bat auto-tuner. But Diedrich Bader, uh, the voice of the Batman, plays it absolutely stoic. Uh, he's the, the little guy from the Drew Carey show, but his Batman is amazing. And so I started watching this show, and over the course of three seasons... It occurred to me that these creators really saw the Batman that I remember liking in the 70s. So you have moments where, yes, we fight Ra's al Ghul, but also, you know, Plastic Man shows up to help you fight the Shaggy Man or 
uh, the wonderful crossover where Space Ghost pops up. You know, we have Detective Chimp moments, but then we also have the really wonderful Superman-Batman crossover episode that ends up being the Batman of Planet X. Uh, so it's basically the Batman of Zurinar. You have all of these really nice meta moments, but then they're in a straightforward kind of cartoon that you can just watch when you're a kid. My kid was maybe 10 or 11, and they were watching this show with me. You know, you'll watch and Professor Zoom shows up and he's voiced by John Wesley Shipp, the Flash from the 90s. Or you get that moment where Batmite shows up and Batman's like, I'm going to test the Batman. And the voice of Batman is Pee Wee Herman. But I feel like the, their piece de resistance is the last episode where the show's been canceled. And so they make the whole episode about the show being canceled, where Batmite shows up and decides he's tired of it. It's repetitive. He's done. He doesn't want anymore. He's going to get the show canceled. He's breaking the fourth wall and talking to the viewers. And I'm like, oh, my God, who are they going to get? And all of a sudden, Ambush Bug shows up, voiced by Fonzie, breaking the fourth wall to tell us, no, 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 we're going to thwart this evil plan. And I'm like, okay, we have an episode where the Fonz is fighting Pee Wee Herman. How can you lose? Number one, Batman, the Brave and the Bold. It's the best Batman cartoon ever. You can argue with me all you want. I'll just ignore you. Also, the the definitive Aquaman, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, oh, he's got the absolutely. best Aquaman. Although HBO oh, Max has an Aquaman Aquaman series, but I don't think it's very good. So, yeah. anyway, Rodrigo, well, what do you have for your number one, one please? Uh, let's see, number one. <laughs> uh, my number one is probably not a surprise to people that have ever heard me talk about this show. Um, surprise! It is Steven Universe. Hey, uh, Steven Universe is. It's a show started out in 2013 and from like I so so Cartoon Network does this thing where they basically uh, call for short pilots, essentially like kind of like these like proof of concept things. And then they look at them and then they green light whatever, but they also air them. So shows uh, that have been as successful or significantly less successful than Steven Universe. Uh, you can find the old pilots for them. Um, Megas XLR is is one of them. Uh, obviously, Steven Universe. Um, it's like this that. Anyway, uh, I can't think of a third one. <laughs> so, when I first saw that proof of concept for Steven Universe, I was I was already hooked. I was like, this show looks unlike anything else that's on television right now. And it's structured unlike anything else that's on television right now. And I was very excited. And I was very ready to watch that show when it came out, uh, because Cartoon Network greenlit it, and to enjoy that first season before it inevitably got canceled. Because what happens very frequently is, uh, you know, kids' shows, and especially kids' shows that are maybe a little offbeat, tend to get canceled right away. So I was I was already ready to be that guy years later who'd be like, you guys remember Steven Universe? Yeah, I wonder what could have been, but I didn't have to because actually Steven Universe became a huge smash success. Uh, it's one of the, it got 
it, it literally got like four seasons and a movie. Although I guess the saying is six seasons and a movie. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know. It might, if you count future, it might have actually gotten six seasons and a movie. Uh, but uh, what? So what's interesting about Steven Universe? Uh, Steven Universe is a musical, right? There's a lot of singing. Usually, there's at least one song in each episode. Um, it's done very well. All of the people that are that are cast know how to sing. There's no stunt. Well, maybe there is one stunt casting in it in Estelle, mm-hmm. but Estelle is already a, a musician and a singer. Um, they uh, other things that are impressive about Steven Universe. Uh, it's a show in which there's fighting, but almost all large problems, almost all conflicts are solved uh, non-violently. They are solved by talking, sometimes by singing, uh, often by trying to draw some sort of understanding. Unlike a lot of other shows, like, say, maybe your Dragon Ball Zs or other similar shows, um, every almost every enemy that Steven Universe, that Steven, the, the main character, comes across, uh, ends up as an ally eventually right even the big you know scary ones even the ones that are monsters there's a way eventually for them to become steven's allies um and that is surprising about the show um the character uh it's like there's a show in which the main character is a boy and he looks up to three women and he frequently cries lots of people frequently cry in this show um, there's no, there's almost like no toxic masculinity to be had. Uh, it is like a really unusual show and it's a very cool show. and It's a very fun show. Like the action stuff is fun, but also the songs are great. It's really like the complete package. And I have very few negative things to say about Steven universe. And if I do, they tend to be like episode specific, like, oh, they, uh, Clearly, the budget was running out for this episode because the animation looks weird, kind of stuff, right? But, but that's something that plagues lots of different shows. Uh, asterisk Ronaldo. <laughs> you don't like Ronaldo? I, I'm not saying that I've turned off episodes because of Ronaldo, but I've yelled at episodes because of Ronaldo. Yeah, Ronaldo. Uh, my wife also hates Ronaldo, um, and I, I appreciate Ronaldo because he is uh sort of an an aspect of the of the fandom right it's mm-hmm. uh it's steven universe giving itself that uh pressure valve to be like well a lot of nerds have a lot of opinions about this stuff so we're going to channel them through ronaldo who is annoying but actually like not a bad person right like he's mm-hmm. not he's not actually like malicious he just is kind of weirdly self-centered about the the media that he likes and the conspiracy theories that he likes. Not to turn this into a defense of Ronaldo because he is <laughs> he is very yeah he is kind of he is the worst character in this. But that is saying something. To be the worst character in Steven Universe still still leaves you as like maybe not all that bad. There you go. All right. Uh, my number one. I kind of owe uh, my love of this show to my oldest son, who when he was a wee lad. We would watch uh, Disney XD and we would watch Phineas and Ferb. And then one day uh, there was a marathon of this particular show and we sat and watched it. And I was like, wow, this is really good. And then we um, and then we became fans of this. Now, to put this into perspective, the show just ended four years ago. uh, But the first episode aired 
10 years ago. So it's only a two season show that took four, four years uh, to tell. It is the story about twins, uh, Dipper Pines and his uh, sister, Mabel, who go and stay with their great uncle or grunkle Stan up in uh, Gravity Falls, Oregon. And there's all sorts of mysteries and paranormal and supernatural things that go on in this small community. And Dipper is is uh, heck bent in finding out what's going on and who is the uh, author of this mysterious journal that he finds. And again, Gravity Falls, as I mentioned in number two, is one of those shows that has a slow build. Here's two kids coming to spend uh, the summer with their great uncle and help run the mystery shack, which is a kind of a touristy trap thing. And uh, they meet these weird things that pop up in, in Dipper's journal that he has. But as the show continues, the stories become more interconnected and there's more of a urgency to finding out what is really going on. And other people are paying attention to what's going on in Gravity Falls until you know, the final one hour episode, weird, weird Mageddon, where, you know, there is an actually world ending event that the citizens, you know, Dipper and, and Mabel and the rest of the citizens of Gravity Falls have to come together to put a stop to. And it is brilliantly done. And the only reason why this is my number one, it was the number one the last time we did this show uh, is because my youngest is a binge watching this again and again and again and again. And I was watching it the other night and I was like, you know, I haven't seen another show like Gravity Falls in some time, and I really miss that. And then, of course, my youngest reminded me that Amphibia follows the same kind of storytelling uh, process. And I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. Um, so I wish there were more shows like Gravity Falls and Amphibia. And I'm sure they're out there. I just am not aware of them right now because my son constantly watches Gravity Falls and Amphibia. Uh, and Owl House, but he hasn't watched, he hasn't binged that one in a while. But uh, Gravity Falls, such a great show, so well animated. If you follow Alex Hirsch on uh, Twitter, uh, was it two weeks ago or three weeks ago? He was like, hey, it's the 10th anniversary of um, of Gravity Falls. And he was like, here are all the weird things that I had to do with standards and practices to get things on the air or not on the air. And it was a fascinating read uh, for everything that he posted. Uh, so so go check out Alex Hirsch's uh, Twitter feed for more of that. And if you've never seen Gravity Falls, well, go watch Gravity Falls. It's really, really good. All right. There you go. There are our top five animated TV shows this time around. Uh, what did we miss? What did we get right? What did we get wrong? Well, we've got a Discord server for that. You can head over to the Major Spoilers Discord server. There's a link in the show notes. You can join for free and jump into the top five channel where you can share your top five animated TV shows. You can discuss our fi favorite to top five animated TV shows. And everyone else will read your list of top five animated TV shows. Why? Because everyone loves a list. Take care, and we'll see you soon. This podcast is copyright 2022 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.